Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On the Sideline, a podcast for coaches and aspiring coaches, where we share the best practices of coaching, interview with coaches, and experts in the field of coach education. Here's your host, Vin Blaine. Welcome to On the Sideline. I'm your host, Vin Blaine. My special guest on today's show will be Mr. Ray Powell, and we will be discussing developing a tactical game model. Ray, who has worked in the UK and Tanzania, is a coach educator and author of several soccer coaching books and a UFA licensed coach. Welcome, Ray. It's my distinct pleasure to have you on today's show. Thank you very much. Very nice to speak to you. Good to be on with you. I look forward to this talk for a long time now. <laughs> Good. Good. I, it's taken I, a bit of coming together. Yeah. I know you have mentioned in our discussion about developing tactical game model, a tactical game model. I have an idea what it might be about, uh-huh. but as you are the expert on it, I wanted to <laughs> see if you can explain to me what that's all about in your context. Okay. Well, I suppose just as a, a preamble, um, often when we talk about tactics as coaches and as pundits and, and the guys in the TV, we kind of we zoom in on certain aspects. So we zoom in on a formation or we zoom in on a midfielder or a front three or, what, or whatever it is. The, the game model, you zoom out. When you're looking at the game model, you zoom out. And what we'll get to hopefully uh, throughout this podcast is is a study um, away from formations and systems and stuff like that and more to the zoom out part to the game model, which is sometimes called the four phases of the game. Uh, or sometimes other places call the four moments of the game. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter what you call it, but for coaches and certainly all high-level coaches to get an effective tactical system together, um, your plan isn't around a formation. It's around your use of those four phases. Okay, so, so you look yeah. at each moment individually and how they connect. Correct, yeah. So it's for sort of um, for the sake of planning we we look at them separately first our ideas around each we definitely have to connect them then to make sure that they function as a whole when that goes out on the pitch it's fluid it's happening all the time there's this there's, there's uh, as we know from football the ball changes hands quickly you're attacking then you're defending and um, and so on so it's we divide it up for simplicity in terms of learning and in terms of um, organising it, um, but understanding that it all goes into a pot then to um, that, that eventually become our tactics uh, for a particular game or games. Very interesting because most teams, especially the lower teams, transition from attack to defence is a problem. Yeah. As a, as a team, individually, but if, if you're using units, I understand that. But... Explain to me uh, your position on... I'll go the opposite afterwards. 
But uh-huh. I think the mo- one of the most important areas of moments of the game is, is the transition part. Sure. I don't, and I don't think coaches train transition. A lot of coaches do not train transition. They look at the attack yeah. in their sessions, yeah. but there's no transition phase to it. Although you're doing sure. attacking, you're doing attacking. There yeah. must be some transition involved with the team that is actually receiving the ball and, then, and the team that is get, trying to gain, gain possession of the ball. So sure. you, that, that is the area I think we could address. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll give you a, a good example, actually, of um, of the transition to defence kind of argument. Um, there's, there's a narrative, certainly over here in the UK, and I guess if, if any, uh, most of your listeners, I assume, will watch and, and engage with the Premier League here. Um, when you watch Liverpool, there's a kind of a zoom-in narrative that, for example, their midfield is, is not creative enough, there's not enough goals, there's not enough assists. But when you zoom out and you look at... Liverpool's tactics from the four phases idea. They have a front three who have license to run in behind. They, they kind of leave the game in, in terms of that attacking phase. They've got two fullbacks who provide more assists than most midfield players do. So the function, when you zoom out, the function of their midfield is around those defensive transitions. And they use so the Jurgen Klopp will use workers rather than flair players, um, for example, in those three positions, purely because they've got a lot of work to do. Now that, to the casual fan, that affects those players' numbers. So Jordan Henderson gets a, a couple of goals, maybe a year, uh, you know, a handful of assists, not, nothing like a Kevin De Bruyne or something like that. Mm-hmm. So when we play uh, football manager or fantasy football, we say... Yeah, Kevin De Bruyne is a better number eight than, than Jordan Henderson. Transfer value is more, numbers are better, all that sort of stuff. But what they're not fully understanding is is that Jordan Henderson role in the bigger picture or the other midfield players, um, which is, um, number one, that transition to defend, because up till maybe 18 months ago, Liverpool were dreadful at it um, at times and, and dropped lots of points and, and got sort of stuck in games because of that. Um so there was there was a clear move in that case too, and you'll notice all the big games Liverpool play in their midfield will always be those kind of functional guys, and it makes you wonder. But as part of the overall plan around transition to defence, they're the key element. Um, and if you put you start putting flair players in there, you lose that phase of the game, and you lose a lot of that phase of the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The ones who don't come back to defend right away. Yeah, I mean you've got you've got. There's two sides of it. There's when you talk about individuals, there. There's number one, the desire to do it, which we focus on a lot. But number two is that if your if your instinct as a midfield player is an attacking one, so you you take Liverpool back a couple of years before that, and you had a Philippe Coutinho in there, you're not putting him in the team to transition to defend. You're putting him in the team to. Um, for for the attacking phase, now right. he can he can contribute, but that's you're not getting your value for him. Um, so yes, you have your run back quickly kind of attitude, and, and that's fine. But you've also got to you've also got to build a team around the characteristics that are already in it. Right. Uh, now, if if Jordan Henderson didn't recover quickly, didn't run around, didn't you know um, sort of bail the team out in certain situations. And he wasn't scoring goals, then you probably don't put him in the team at all. He's, he's probably surplus the requirements. But it's interesting that he, in in this example, he will leave out 
Oxley Chamberlain, um, mm-hmm. Naby Keita, the, the more forward, forward-thinking fielders right. in those big games where those small moments really matter. Um, he could probably do it against Bournemouth, but certainly not against Barcelona. If you understand where I'm coming from, and that's a good that's a good way to look at it for coaches who are wondering why some of these players don't start in certain games. Sure, because it's a bigger picture he looked at. Absolutely, and that's Absolutely. important there. So, okay, I know that we I know that we know that the four moments are attached to to this tactical game model. Yeah, how would the coach approach developing that tactical game model from in the? Well, we know different teams, different approaches, but there must be a methodology. There is, and it's you could you could be quite uh, structured in how you think about it. I, I think most coaches will have a focus on one of those um, one of those four phases, or or certainly one of the attacking or defending ones. Mm-hmm. You have your coaches who will um, their start point will be when we have the ball, this is what we want to do, this is how we're going to attack, um, and the rest of it can flow from that. You will have other coaches um, and maybe for a particular game so for example a, a Mourinho in a big game when he feels the team is second best his focus goes on the uh, defensive organization part but they all understand that even though we focus on one bit we have a you know an, an extra love or desire for one one of those phases the rest of them must follow and sync up um, if it's probably best to speak in examples here, and I, and I will use Premier League ones, uh, I think just because of the worldwide um, appeal of it. If you look at a Pep Guardiola team, for example, obviously the possession-based emphasis, the in-possession stuff for Pep Guardiola teams is is plain for all to see. What we don't see unless we look for it um, is the next bit. So the next bit in the model is the transition to defend. So he sets up his, his teams positionally to make sure that when they lose the ball, they can press it and win it back if possible. They can slow down a counter-attack or if they're under real threat, and they've got a bit of a bad reputation for this, but when they're under real counter-attack threat, they commit fouls. They're quite happy to commit, to commit fouls in sort of areas of the pitch that aren't dangerous. So you may start with, with with the focus, we'll say on the the possession in possession attacking bit, but the rest of it's got to flow. Um, I, I have a bad example for you as well. I'm sure we'll get to it later in the call. Well, okay. So I'm more interested in this um, development phase right now. How coaches can approach because right now we're looking at. I like to. Use, I like what you use. The bigger picture. You, you zoom out. You know. I like yeah. that zoom out because if we get caught in individual play. Or even a unit. We have things like forward support in the midfielder, that type of approach to training. Yeah. The critical side, and I like it because the critical part of it is just a zooming out to look at the bigger picture, look at what's happening outside the area of play. And this has to do with more of a analysis of your team, the why. Yeah. You know, what is the football problem? Yeah. And and sometimes you, as you say, you have to look, take a bigger picture of what's happening to see the player off the ball. And I'm saying a lot of us concentrate on the ball coaching and not around the ball, sometimes off the ball. And that's an sure. important part of the thing that falls into the tactical development model. I still want to get to what's the best approach in a training session. Take it yeah. from that point of view. Yeah. Let me just park that a minute mm-hmm. just to pick you up on what you said about the following the ball thing. Mm-hmm. If you're 
and I don't mean to get in anyone's face here, I promise. But if if you're following if you're following the ball, you're a spectator. Eh? You are a spectator. <laughs> you, you, you are. You're you're a fan, and you're a fan who's in a privileged position where you can shout at your team or you can give them yeah. instruction. Yes. And and you know, I won't say anyone can do that, and, and people can do it better, but that's really only part of the puzzle mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. when and, and it's it's a habit first of all it's not a case of you're doing it wrong it's just what you've always done probably um especially for whatever inexperienced coaches or or coaches making that transition through their qualifications and so on it's not a bad thing but it's about breaking the habit so my first step along those lines for coaches my first bit of advice is when you, if you think about these four phases, mm-hmm. I want you to, when, you, when you're watching your team, let's say you're watching your team in possession and they're attacking, I don't want you to watch that phase. I want you to watch the next one. Mm. So, yes, they have the ball and they're attacking, blah, 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 but your focus is actually on that transition to defend moment. So, if you lose that ball in whatever position you're in, what happens next? Mm-hmm. What are your what are your centre backs doing? What position is your goalkeeper in? Um, your midfielders and, and and things like that. So you've always got that um, element of organisation and predicting behind it. When you're defending, uh, let's say you're you're defending a dangerous attack. Yes, you want to see what's happening, but you've also got to assess the possibility. So from this position, if we win it back. How can we counterattack? So, what's our striker doing? What is he? Is he kind of standing on the halfway line as a spectator as well, or is he, you know, trying to identify little pockets or spaces he can run into? It's it, the, the options are endless, but by doing that, you're you're seeing a bigger game now. Right. You're seeing a bigger game more than just following the ball like you would do on a on a TV program. Uh, is it, go ahead, go ahead, Henry. Continue. Well, I was just if, if you've got a question on that, it's it's probably better. I was gonna I was gonna delve into the training stuff if you want me to now. Yeah, but I I go into the training stuff, but I wanna I just add a, make a comment. And I love what you're saying because this is this is this is the information I want to get out to coaches. Because what you're trying to say and what I agree with is that your your training has to be more than just individual training. Your functional exercise play is has to do with it, but it's also a mixture of functional and phase of play. Sure. And the roles and responsibilities of the players within that uh, movement. Absolutely, absolutely, right? yes, for sure, for sure. So, you're, 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 if you're, if we're zoomed out in this conversation, of course, at some point you need, you do need to zoom in. You need to work with units. You exactly. need to work with individual mm-hmm. players. Mm-hmm. Of, of course, I always, I always try to think of of this game simply, if we can. Number one, if you're trying to train something, or you're trying to teach something, it's got to be there. So I'll I'll clarify that a little bit. Mm -hmm. If you want your team to be better at transitions, you have got to include transitions in your training sessions. Exactly. And that doesn't mean that necessarily mean that the whole 90 minutes or whatever is you trying to create a drill about transitions. Right. It could be, well, you know what? We're going to make our training sessions more game-based. So if you think about it, Every time you've got two teams with two goals, you've got transitions because there's always the ball is changing hands. So as long as the ball is changing hands, you've got those transitional moments. Um, there's a great article if, if people um, 
want to jump on Google or Twitter or something and have a look for it, which is from Pepin Linders, who's the assistant at Liverpool, actually. Um, and now their great focus is on um, qu- quick pressing, that counter pressing moment. So they would, even in their rondos at the start of the session when they play 6v2 or 7v2, the players get rewarded for winning the ball back quickly because that's the essence of the team. I ask coaches that I, that I work with, that I mentor, if you were to define your game model or, or, or figure out what's important to your team and you gave yourself a point for every time that came up in a, in a training exercise or a session, I want you to score yourself. I want you to put a point next to that rondo, for example. I want you to put a point next to the, the practice afterwards that deals that has an element of transition in it. Because over time, sometimes coaching is not just right, I've got 30 minutes and I'm going to make them better in 30 minutes' time. Sometimes it's that little and often approach, that constant message. Um, let's use transition to defend as an example. That constant message, like at Liverpool, that we aim to win the ball back higher, quicker, earlier. And so that's that. the more you repeat that, the more you send the message, the more you train it, um, whether that's an explicit instruction around it or whether it's implicit in terms of the game here involves transitions you've got that over time you have that aggregated score if that makes sense kind of like you're trying to add one percent one percent and one percent rather than going straight to a hundred percent which has value but it's it's there's two ways of of doing it yeah so your recommendation to young coaches before (coughs) you get into the training side of things your recommendation to young coaches, would you say to look at their model, their game model first, to get to the individual responsibilities of the players? If you're to approach your, 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 your training session. Yes, I would. And, and, and that advice is that you could, you could probably do it both ways. If, if you have, let me think of an example, if you have Ronaldinho in your squad, mm-hmm. you get him on the pitch. So your game model may be around affected him. by it might be yes. around your, your him or your best players or, right. or whatever it is. Right. Um, so Sven Goran Eriksson, who was the England manager, he's gone back quite a while now. He was he was on TV here in the UK recently, um, and his angle on this was he was selecting the best players and putting them on the pitch. Other coaches will go, "This is my game model. This is my start point. I'm going to get the players on the pitch that suits that." Yes. If that makes sense. So that might mean one of the better players doesn't fit in for, for a particular game. We see this all the time. One of the better players, um, you know, is phased out completely. It's it's a, it's a hard one to strictly advise. But whatever approach you take of it, you've got to, you've got to establish a game model for me. Uh, even if it's really loose and, and really kind of you have a blank page in front of you and you don't quite know where to start, find out what's important to you when you when you coach your team or what you want to see from your team. Uh, take in all the factors around individuals, around the team, around their league position, how good they are, where they are in the pecking order. All that will influence your game model. But if we were to look at other sports, and, and I'm sure people from other sports would laugh at us because if you were to go to watch Usain Bolt in a training camp, in preparation for um, an athletics event, whatever, in a couple of weeks' time, you would expect him to be training 
only around the bits that I, that he's going to use in that event. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I don't know anything really about athletics training, but I can't imagine he's running up hills. I can't imagine he's doing 12-minute runs or anything like that. It, it will be, how can I get from A to B in 10 seconds, uh, less than 10 seconds? So my acceleration, my top speed, and, and whatever else comes into it, the other physical stuff, I'm sure it's more complicated than that. But we wouldn't think that that was strange at all. We would think that was absolutely normal. So for your football team, if you've got a game, an event, um, a tournament, and you're preparing for that, why would you do anything else other than preparing the, the elements of your game model? Something that's, exactly, that's game-related. Game-related, but yeah. not just game-related, but game-model-related. So Game-model-related, you, you understand what I'm yes. the, the the slight difference. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I Pep Guardiola, for example, and I've got a game next week, and we're going to play the way we play to our game model, then he's probably not going to train deep defending, right. um, and probably he, he's not going to train counter attacking from from defensive positions. He's going to concentrate on his in possession stuff, his transition to defend high up the pitch, and his maybe his quicker counter attacks so it's it's kind of you're you're um you're breaking the game down i guess into into your game model and what's relevant for you mm-hmm. and and training that and i and i love i love the information ray because a lot of coaches do generic exercises yeah and they have a game they're not preparing for the game they believe that they get into a session and what they can do is just simply go play 10v8, 11v11. With, as you say, the model is not there. So maybe they didn't have a concept of what they're, or they didn't think of what they do as a, as a model, a game model. Yeah. Because I think what happens more often than not is that they change these as they go along, which is not, nothing is wrong with it. But sure. I'm just saying that, do they concentrate on one, on the, on, on the concept of a game model? Yeah, I, I mean... You don't want to um, you don't want to generalize too much, but I would right. suggest that the, the the coaches working at a better level are are sifting through those those kind of practices and, and training sessions, like Pepin Linders earlier, even down to the the type of rondo they use at the very beginning, is relevant and links to to what they're trying to do on a Saturday. It doesn't matter if your game model changes. So right. so if you're if you're a coach of a particular team and and you need to get points every week your game model might change every week uh, depending on who you're playing. And that's that's a kind of coach preference, whether you focus on you and your game model for a season or 10 seasons or whether you go, you know what, we're playing top of the league on Saturday, so we're going to do this. And yeah, we, we spend, I'm, I'm talking about adult professional teams, of course, right, or right. <clears throat> international teams. But we learn, we learn from those teams, you know, Ray. So, yeah, we do. You know, so if if we are even talking about Barcelona and, and and Man City and Liverpool, I think young coaches maybe you can't replicate what they're doing because you don't have the, that that type of player. But it gives you a guide as how to develop your own model. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I always I say to coaches, and you like this, that if if your primary or elementary school teacher will will have, for example, a degree, a degree in math. It doesn't mean that they teach the degree math to five-year-olds. 
Right. It means that it means they select what the five year old is ready for, what they're available, what the curriculum says and so on. Right. So you're absolutely right. Having that higher level knowledge, I guess that that's a work in progress bit, but understanding the game at the highest level. So you can bring it back to your team in your circumstances. Um, now, the game model, you can only make it as complicated as your players as they need to to, to understand it. Um so I think that's very important. So we're, we're age appropriate, we're level appropriate, right? Um, and all that is is absolutely important. Expecting you know you're under 15s to play like Barcelona is is probably silly, but you can still take elements from it and use Barcelona as your you know your top of the top of the mountain kind of uh, ambition. Instead of taking the session from the internet and applying it. To yeah. the 10, 12 year olds and say one touch football, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, correct. correct. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, um, I think the, I think you do go on a journey as a coach where you do copy a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and you copy until you get into a, a competent position where you feel that, yeah, I found this session on Google, but from Barcelona or whatever, but I'm going to tweak it because exactly. my players are this. Exactly. I'm going to change it because of this. Etc. Mm-hmm. Etc. Et so the the whole being a thief in, in football in terms of ideas and stuff like that is is great. But the skill and the learning and it's a process for sure. But the skill is making it appropriate for for the guys you're working with. Otherwise, that's actually poor coaching. No matter where you've got the drill from. But exactly. As I said, I always say to them, you know, we are all thieves. You know, we we, we look yeah. at we look at sessions and we tell them is how you adapt them to what you're doing that makes a difference yes a question rate if all this game model Mm -hmm. and i'm going to use your terminology zoom in and zoom zoom out that's fine that's the easiest way for them to understand it tells you exactly what you're doing to look at the bigger picture how important it is then after you zoom out you're approaching your training session what are some of the things now you'd want to take to that training session after you you actually zoom out to your team saying that you already have a game model or you're trying to develop a great model. Yeah. The idea of a coach really standing back, sitting, sitting up in the stands sometimes to get a bigger picture, right? He doesn't have video cameras. Most of these smaller countries training is not videoed. Yeah, yeah. But at some point, can you say at some point, could the coach step away from the training session in a position where you can see the entire game to look of what is happening? After doing that, what is your what would be your recommendation for him not coming back down? How would you approach training session? Well, I think we have there's a traditional approach in coaching that to be a good coach you need to be loud, you need to be there, you need to be on top of people. You point out mistakes, you correct mistakes, and all that, and it's quite a negative cycle, really that that traditional way. And I still have coaches now who kind of tell me, "Oh, I'm not sure I'm doing it right because the guy who coaches beside me on a." on a Thursday night is, is shouting and kicking every ball. And that's, that, yeah, that, that's... We all, we all that's, go through that, yeah? <laughs> we do, yeah, yes. we do. And, and that's, we probably all played, you know, under coaches like that. And that's that's our lens, that's our starting point. And we always bring our own experiences to to, to what we do. But if, if you're going to be better than those around you, if you're going to be better than the ones before you, um, you need to explore other and different ways of, of, of doing things. So you have this, you could, you could forever zoom in and zoom out, whether it's a training session or a game or a game model, of course. 
in, in terms of if I give you a little snapshot of the way I work with with players to, to answer your question, I hope it'll be helpful. We would organize our season and, and this is certainly working with youth. We would organize our season with a curriculum, with a way of working. So I could tell you in six months time on the whatever it is, six months from now, September, the first week in September, there's a really, really high level chance that we'll be focusing on X. So that may change because life changes sometimes, but I'll be able to pretty much guarantee you that we'll have we'll have a, a focus on a particular element of our game model that week. Part of that curriculum is individual development mm-hmm. because you spoke about the individual a lot and we, we, we zoom in on them, which is fine. But how often do we actively go about improving each and every one of them? And, and I mean each and every one of them. So part of your curriculum or your season's work is a little bit like you you would expect in school where each student has um i I don't want to use the word grade but every student has their own individual path that they're working on even though there's 30 of them all being taught the same lesson in in the school so if i'm sitting up in the stand and i'm i've had this zoom out in a training session and i go back in I'm looking for a couple of things. I'm looking for, is this the, the topic? Is it helping the topic that we're focusing on that particular moment? Are the individuals involved in it doing the things that, that their individual development plan sets? So <laughs> this will sound really amateur, but how often do you see your centre-back in a small side, in a 7v7 or something like that, play as a left-winger? Mm-hmm. You know, just because it's it's, it's it, not it's not it's 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 a regular behavior by coach. Sure, they play small sided sure. games. For instance, they they'll play a a, a small sided game with no no rules, no no positional play. Yeah, I, and simply as you say, I have seen a lot of times center backs coming and do doing um, shooting. Yeah, but nothing to do with their own defending. You know the, yes. the, their how they approach defending one v one how they cover that I see nothing. So it's yeah. that, that that is something. It's not simple. That happens a lot of times. It does happen a lot of times, and 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 um, you know if I'm having a conversation to a first team coach about this, it's a different conversation than I'm having with an under tens coach. Right. First of all, mm-hmm. there's a rule or a guide that I use in in my coaching, which is which I call the eighty twenty. So, for example, that week in September where we're looking at our curriculum, it's it's eighty percent that it will be that. I always give myself that twenty percent for things that happen. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're and I'm talking to the to the older coaches now and, and the coaches of older players, shouldn't your players be practicing what they need to do at least eighty percent of the time, rather than? like you just said, your centre-back shooting or whatever the case may be, crossing. So right. we do a crossing and finishing session and everyone crosses, everyone finishes, yes. and it's just everyone's doing only probably 20% of what they will ever do, including your wingers and your strikers. So I travelled down to Watford um, 10 years ago um, and had a conversation around this, and they built their academy from under-14s up. They built it around that's a similar sort of 80-20 Mm-hmm. Um, idea that we're going to build, and this was their their USP. We're going to build from fourteen on. 
position-specific players with a, with a little bit of room to change, of course. But your centre-backs won't be involved in the shooting practices. Your, uh, your strikers won't be, you know, d- defending in and around the box kind of thing. There's no harm in exposing them to that. Right. But when... Why? That's exactly that's 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 the question. Those are the questions. Yes, correct. Because I was about to ask you that too. You know about you know the when. You know not the why so much, but the when. Do you want to get them involved? Yeah. In that. Yeah. I mean, if you if you look at football from the top down, you have the technical tactical bit, which we tend to focus on in our training sessions. Mm-hmm. Which that's your game model. That's your whatever your shooting practices, mm-hmm. your defending practices, and so on. The other parts of the game model, uh, game model is in terms of uh, not the game model. Sorry, the other parts in that long-term development is the psychological and social. Mm-hmm. So there might be times in your training sessions where you think, do you know what? We need something that's light, fun, different, um, freshen things up, or something like that. So yes, your defenders will get involved in the shooting practice, or you, you know, you you play a. A daft warm-up game because you, your team's maybe lost on Saturday and you need a bit of a pick-me-up and a, and a bit of a, you know, a, a bit of social cohesion or whatever. So you, you you do have to throw all those elements into into the pot, mm-hmm. but they're they're your twenty percent. They your they are your twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, you know that that are that are sometimes rather than all the time. Yeah. As I get back to that, there's one thing I want to ask you, though. You're going on the same road. The individual players, we know, of course, they are important. But if you have a game model, the game model says that you want an overlapping wing-back. Yeah. You want your, your wing-backs to go. A lot of times we see coaches want that, but they're not training it. Yeah. You know, and that's just part of what their game model is. This yes. is how they play. But it's imp- I had this conversation recently about that. We are training and all are training the same way. All the yeah. players are doing the same thing. Yeah. And not, as you said, the importance of doing the, the specific work. I like that 80-20 rule. Because if you're playing piano, for instance, that is what you have to be concentrating on. Sure. Your chords and your movement. So the approach should be the same in football. Yeah, 100%. It would be madness. Like I say, people in other sports or musicians or anything like that would wonder what the hell we were doing if we were practicing things that were not related to the performance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, or certainly not using the performance as, as the start point in our practices. That's, it's crazy. A, a pianist, an orchestra or anything like that, if they've got a performance coming up, mm-hmm. they focus on their performance and their All the of elements it. of their performance. That's, yes, correct. And that's their rehearsal. Yeah, of course you it know. is. And then, you know, if you're a racing car driver, you need to hit 200 miles an hour going around corners and slowing down and speeding up and all that sort of stuff. That's what you're doing. It it doesn't, you know, you driving your mum to the airport doesn't count as driving practice, you know, because it's not, <laughs> it, it, you understand where I'm coming yeah, from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or bringing the kids to school. It's not, <laughs> it's it's driving, but it's not relevant yeah. enough to, to consider it practice. So, um, yeah, the, the generic stuff, you know, can look. It, it can coaches can can do what they want if they feel like it's a benefit. But can they tell you what the benefit is in, in terms of the game model number one, but also maybe the physical, psychological, social stuff that that makes a part of the game as well. And this is in American football. 
they have plays with different numbers. So everyone knows their movement when, a certain, num when certain numbers are being called. What the, what the receiver does. A lot of times, we can take things from other you know, sports. We're not saying we're going to have a number system. Sure. But, but if you can embed in the mind, embed in the mind of a player is that, hey, when Johnny makes a run, this is how I want you to react to that run yeah, and yeah. give support. But we sometimes we focus on the player on the ball too often. And yeah. for instance, I was looking at an analysis of a team. It may have been, uh, I think it was Barcelona. And what happens in the pressing? Because it, it's useless that a couple of players know what they're doing. And the, and the one that can prevent that outlet pass doesn't do his or her work. For sure. So I think this is complex. I think the game model and the overall simplicity, the way you put it about zooming out and zooming in, it gets complex when you're looking to develop that model, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's it's not something that you, you sit down for an hour and you come up with. It's something that you, you learn to do, you evolve. Uh, but just because it's difficult doesn't mean that you just don't do it. Um, the closer you get to it is a step in the right direction, for sure. And and just, um, you know, I know we're running out of time here a little bit, but you mentioned there about American football and, and the numbers. and the, if, if there was a fifth element of your game model... Um, and it's it's kind of it doesn't sit within the model. It kind of sits to the side or all around. Is your set plays right? Exactly. So, and they're they're the, the the moments in football that are different than any other part of the game in terms of um, you can actually heavily pre-plan them. Um, now, as soon as that ball rolls, as soon as that play is taken, we're back to this real variable anything can happen uh, type of thing I, I guess I don't know a lot about American football but I guess it's a little bit I guess similar to, to rugby in a sense where there, there's a match line there's a line on the pitch where the, where the game is taking place right now um, and with both teams trying to make territory um, to, to get into advanced positions right um, and with all the stoppages in American football for example you can have you know, a set play book, of course, and, and that's mm. a, a big part of American culture. How that look when the ball is live and rolling in, in football is very different because very different. The, the the game line moves can move 60 yards up the pitch in a second. Mm -hmm. um, a, a player in, in 10 seconds can move from one corner of the, of the pitch to another. So you, you've got, it's, it is more variable, but your set plays give you an opportunity to practice routines, to have a little edge on um, on your opposition, um, and and they, they, you know they make up numbers differ, but you're talking the guts of thirty percent of of goals come directly or indirectly from set plays. So getting ahead of of your opposition is one tool to certainly use. So do you think coaches pay enough attention to trading set plays from your yeah, experience? I yeah, I don't want to be widespread. You you have some that will heavily heavily focus on them because maybe that's their way of getting a result from from saturday to saturday mm -hmm. um, that's their that's their edge that's their their real edge on everyone else you have others that will concentrate on them to supplement um points and goals and stuff like that so uh, a number of years ago you remember a lot of liverpool examples here but it, it just popped into my head brendan rogers was talking about uh planning the season and he said Liverpool needed X amount of goals. I can't remember what it was. So based on the season before, he, he felt they were short about 
15, 20 goals in, in, across the season. So one of his ways of dealing with this was to be excellent around set plays um, and, and add goals from those set plays. So some coaches will go all in with them. Um, you've got to be really, really conscious of your players in those situations because they'll, you'll soon see when they're sick of it and, and your, your kind of teaching method needs to change. Um, some coaches won't do it at all, which I, I think is, is, is a shame because it does give you, like I say, that edge, that 1% that might be, might be different. So look back, back to you, back to the coaches, I guess, you know, what's, what's your, your value in them. And if you, if you go back to that game model, like Brendan Rodgers did, you know, what, what are we trying to Barcelona, for example, from set plays, you know, it, you kind of get the feeling that certainly the Bar- the good Barcelona team from a few years ago that that we remember from Guardiola and Villanova and so on. It's a case of, well, we're not going to. It's a sensible. We're not going to just stick the the ball high balls into the box because we're, you know, a physically small team. We'll we'll play short and we'll we'll get back into our sort of attacking phase in possession phase quickly. Um, but that in itself is 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 a method rather than you're just not doing it. Yeah, I'm laughing at that, you know, about putting the ball in the air in a corner. Because I've seen teams where their opponents have two six-foot-five defenders in the back. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. their forward is five-eight. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and they have no other alternative. They play nothing else but put the ball across, put the ball across. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. And, and it's, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't make sense, does it? No, now, if, no. now, you could... You know, it could be a case of, of getting really clever and, and your idea is to move those two centre-backs or one of them, mm-hmm. move them out of, of the area you want to attack or, or, or whatever the case may be. But that, again, you, you're you're making it real to your performance and what you need to do on a Saturday. Yes. Ray, I know you're a busy man. We'll continue this conversation in, in yeah, another yeah, podcast. Sure. It was really nice talking to you and I look forward to our next session where we can exp- expand on the approach to the tactical game model. Okay, man. Take right. care. Now. Thanks for coming on, man. Cheers, mate. Well, coaches, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Ray definitely touched on some salient points with regard to a game model. And I hope you are leaving with a better understanding of how to develop your own tactical game model. Thanks for listening. If you found value in the show, please share with your friends. We'd love to hear your views. So if you haven't already done so, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Make sure to visit our website at onthesideline.net, where you can access coaching sessions and more. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.